Lucas, when I say golden hour, what do you think of? Okay, I clicked on this link, Daniel. <laughs> I was like, is this about the podcast or about something else? And like the time of day. You know, there's so many things that golden sure, hour could yeah. mean. But what you should be thinking of when you hear a golden hour is sweet tea in your camera lens. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> just gonna click this link real, real quick, and and then move it over to my other tab here. And let me just describe to you what I'm seeing. It says, "Enjoy Coca-Cola with cookies," and then it's making me accept their cookies. Uh huh. You know, yes. So, but after that, this appears to be like a like a if you imagine a. Like a bag clip, like if you have some chips or something, you want to clip them shut or mm-hmm. you know, it has a magnet on it kind of mm-hmm. thing. And then what looks like a cap for like a like if you bought a soda or something, like, yeah. a, like a cap. Kind of similar. Yeah. And then you fill it with tea, like Golden Peak Sweet Tea. Yeah. And then it seems to have a screw cap that screws over it so it's translucent. And then mm-hmm. you clip this over your phone lens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. That's about right. <laughs> and then you take pictures uh-huh. through the tea. And moment better watch out. That's all I'm saying because Gold Peak is coming for them. This is a choice. <laughs> they show some sample pictures too. I can't tell if they're actual sample pictures, but they kind of remind me of like the Fuji sepia filter. You know, you get like a little bit of a, a little bit of brown tint in there. I, like maybe. I mean, there's some color in here too. Yeah. It. The I, like your phone's gonna try to white balance whenever you take a picture. Yeah. So like this has to be. It's like pushing it past its a minimum white balance <laughs> position. <laughs> like it, it goes down to twenty two hundred k, and it's like still too warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the web that this part of the website says, "Is this for real?" <laughs> we know it's a little wild. Check out some amazing images, and then they have a an Instagram hashtag filter. Yep. I'm, I think you need what, to, you need to register for this. What, this what is, like, is this a free giveaway that you can register for to get one of these? To get to get a clip for the thing, like to get the to get the device that you can pour tea into and make these pictures. No, no, <laughs> hard pass. <laughs> well, you just keep doing your shooting on film thing, and I'm going to be over here taking pictures with my Gold Peak tea, and we'll see who's come out better. I know that this sounds like camera gear. And it looks like camera gear. <laughs> this is camera gear. It's not camera gear, Daniel. <laughs> this is staying deliberately in the pre-show. <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. Last Last time we talked, we kind of mentioned in passing how we haven't had any specific segments that are known to reoccur on this podcast. Because all we've been doing is talking about all these new releases that came out in September. And yeah. it feels like all we do now is talk about new stuff. Just and, newsy yeah. and terrible. Yeah, we're like a camera blog. Ugh. And so I'm bringing back some corners. I don't have a legendary lens for you. I'm sorry. I know I need, like, if we're going to get to 100, I mean, we got to yeah, really, yeah, yeah, we go gotta really get, get some yeah. stuff going. So later. Okay. But I do have... A movie corner for you. Okay. Yeah. So go ahead and play the uh, the segment music that you that you put together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All that movie corner music yep. that we definitely mm-hmm. have. Yeah. Uh-huh. Just go ahead and go play that now. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I'm just looking at you. Okay. I forced you to go to the movies with me. Yes. Uh, for the first time in a hundred years. Yep. And we went to go see the creator. Yeah. Yeah. Shot on the FX3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
been hearing a lot about that one on the yeah, internet lately. Yeah, so that's been, yeah, that's like a lot of buzz. You yeah. know, Gareth, whatever his name is, shot the whole thing on FX3. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? Yeah. This is crazy. And so, you know, a lot of really cool videos out there talking about like how they shot the film and all this sort of thing. And so I kind of wanted to kind of want to talk yeah. about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely interesting to see. And I mean, I I thought it looked good. I mean, I, I would not have assumed that it was anything less than a normal cinema camera. Yeah, no, it, it, it totally worked. Like, they shot the whole thing on anamorphic. They shot it super, super wide, too. They shot it at 2.79 to 1. Oh, wow. I don't know if you caught that whenever we saw it. No, but I didn't really pay attention it to was, that. It was particularly wide, and I think it's because they wanted to do, like, almost like a Panavision type. Mm. Panavision, is that the right word? Cinerama. Cinerama type, like. Okay. Super, super wide. Just to give it, like, more scale and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think, like, the most interesting thing around this movie that I've heard so far is a lot of the talk about like how they dealt with the budget and how they shot it. And it costs less than most movies of this type, right? Yeah, exactly. Something like this you might budget at 300 million and mm-hmm. this thing costs like 80 million. And the reason they were able to save all that money is because instead of building the sets, they shot almost everything on location. So they shot in 80 different locations. That's crazy. It's nuts. It's yeah. absolutely nuts. And then instead of like doing all the CG and then working through the final cut and like having to throw away a bunch of CG mm-hmm. effort, they like thought through everything and shot it in a way that they did the final cut before they even pushed it off to CGI. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And you, so you see some of those scenes and it's like they must have just had like large blank areas in the scene while they were filming it and then also while they're editing it. Yeah, like the amount of the amount of grab like CG in this movie was insane. Mm-hmm. There was so much. Because because like when you hear that, like before the movie, you're like, oh well, like they must have just like used CG in a couple of places or something, but there was a lot of CG in that movie. I don't I don't know if there was a scene without some sort of CG. Yeah. It was just super, super intense. And but it's like they they did these interesting things, made these interesting choices, and like were able to shoot it on location, get these grand looking scenes. But then, like, still keep the budget a third mm-hmm. of what you would expect it to be. Yeah. Well, and they were probably able to do some of that by having, like, a stripped-down camera set up and not not needing, like, a huge crew to operate all that equipment. Right, exactly. I think that the director himself actually operated the camera for a good portion of it because mm. he's like, I know what I want, and, like, so yeah. I'm going to run the camera. And having that smaller camera system that's more mobile, they're able to do a lot more gimbal stuff and, like, keep it all very tight, keep the crew down. And, I mean, it was just really interesting to hear how they did a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it seems like a newer, uh, you know, or something that hasn't really been done before. And you have to imagine there's going to be more of more things like that as cameras are getting better and Yeah, all that. for sure. And it's like they leaned a lot into the whole, like, this doesn't have to be the most perfectly lit thing. And they were trying to get, you know, some of those, like, 80s, 90s, 70s, um, like, sci-fi look like think of mm-hmm. something like blade runner that has really harsh yeah. harsh deep shadows mm-hmm. and so they were trying to go for this like naturally lit dramatic look and so most of the lighting was bounced and their lighting person they had like a mobile lighting person and so <laughs> they didn't like set up like lights like you would normally do and then they're like ah oh, this isn't working and then you gotta like take 30 minutes and move the light yeah. they're like you hold the light thing and now we're gonna move you over here. <laughs> so like, like hey, we have someone that holds the sound stick. We got someone holds light yeah. stick. Well, and a lot of the look of that movie was very dark. So. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I mean, I thought I thought all of that was like super super cool. Yeah. And I mean, it's just it's interesting to see you know movies kind of made in a different way. And I like seeing directors who want to kind of try to 
flips some norms on their head and it's like, yeah, this is how we make a super huge budget, like Marvel movie or something, but we don't have to make every movie like that. Mm-hmm. And we can like do these different things and shoot things on location and you can actually make it work and yeah. make a really cool movie. I agree. I thought it came out good too. I mean, not, not just the way it looked, but I mean, we had kind of heard some mixed reviews of the storyline, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, I would say uh, for those, I mean, those who are following me on Letterboxd already know. I gave it a four out of five stars. That's pretty good. Pretty pretty, pretty, big, pretty good. big deal. This is kind of like feeds into this other thing that I have here on the topic list. So I'm going to skip over this other corner because Daniel, I have two corners today. <laughs> that's a lot of corners. Two, two segments. Yeah, that's like half of a room. But like a lot of the conversation about the creator has been, you know, oh, how do they shoot it or the location thing or, you know, the CGI stuff or like the camera itself. And like they shot this on a $4,000 prosumer camera. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. Yep. And it's like, yeah, they use a $10,000 lens too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like they put the money where it mattered. And mm-hmm. like you listen to like the director, the cinematographer talk about it. And it's a lot of like, yeah, we use this $4,000 camera. But we put all of this money into paying like John David Washington and to building out these, you know, elaborate sets and right. like, makeup and costume and set dressing and all of this stuff. And they're like the lighting and like all the things that you see, like all the money's on camera. It's like, you know, we didn't have it all behind the yeah. scenes. You know, it's like things that you see. And they talked about how that was kind of like the things that make it like a cinematic thing. And they mm-hmm. just kind of dismissed all of the discussion about the lens and the camera and that sort of thing. And well, it kind of... That doesn't that doesn't bode well for us here today sh- on the don't, don't, Camera Gear podcast. Just, we'll get to it. <laughs> and so I'm curious, kind of like, if you're thinking about like shooting a movie or something, or like you're framing out a scene or whatever, I mean, it feels like, like you can't do it without the camera. Like you have to have something that meets the minimum requirements. But I feel like you have like the camera and the lens and the gear, and then you have like the lighting and all that sort of thing. And then you have like the set and the set dressing and the scene itself. And it feels like all of those are kind of equally weighed in the whole creative process. And so I was curious if you think like, does one of those matter more than the other? Do you think that like they all matter equally? Like if you had a budget of, you know, how much am I going to put into these three categories and one's the gear, one's the scene and like one's like the lighting. How how are you gonna like divvy that up? What do you think is the most important? That's a hard question to answer. I mean, it, it probably just really depends on what you're doing. But I mean, I feel like the correct answer, but also like the meme answer to this, is to say that the camera is the least important part. And you know, that doesn't sound that great for us to say because sure. we like talking about cameras and we like all the gear. But I think the reality is that now cameras are so good that it, you know if you. Unless you're talking about like a literal, you know, like shoestring budget, you know, like I need to make a movie or 200 bucks. Like assuming you're not, you know, at that level, I think that generally you're better off putting the money into like lighting and the set dressing. And we were talking the other day about how set dressing seems like one of the things that can really set like an amateur production apart from a professional one. And I think that's something that gets lost a lot whenever people watch YouTube and learn about filmmaking from people on YouTube, because you, know, you watch all these videos and you see people talking about cameras, talking about the gear, talking about color grading and all that stuff. Like you really think that that's the huge focus, but I mean, it seems like you can, you can make something that is shot very well and still have it look super amateur if you're not doing anything in the scene, if you're not doing any makeup or anything like that. And so I feel like if you're trying to do a big production, that's like spending money on the lighting and on the 
the set, like the things that are in front of the lens is what's going to go farther toward making it look like a planned, like real production. Yeah, for sure. It's like you can do that and then like the camera itself, it's like if it meets the minimum viable option of like, what are we trying to achieve here? Like, does it have to shoot raw? Can we get away with log only? And like all this sort of thing, then Mm -hmm. like you can pick the minimum viable option and then move forward with like, you know, what do you see and putting the money actually on, like on yeah. scene and on, on the screen. I mean, you can just think about like, you know, think about movies that you like that were made 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You can get, I mean, most people listening to this podcast probably have a camera that is as good as a lot of those older cameras, you know, if, if not, if not much better. And so, you know, would you be happy making a movie that looks the way your favorite movie from the eighties did? And like, if so, then you probably don't need to spend more money on your camera to make that. Yeah, for sure. I think that like that's those are the kind of things that really set you know certain directors apart. Like the things as far as you know setting up the scene, doing the blocking, planning these camera movements, mm-hmm. and understanding like how that look and feel works, and like knowing like how you know, you're using the gear and all this sort of thing. And that's why you know people like you know Steven Spielberg or whatever are so well recognized is because of like how they know how to use yeah like what's there. I mean yeah, it's like you you know as the director you need to know. But you need to at least know how to tell somebody what you want from the camera and you need somebody in that, you know, in that situation who can run the camera, obviously. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be successful, but it's kind of funny because it's like the director also has to be like a good interior designer almost, you know, like you've got to be able to just like lay or somebody has to be able to like lay out a scene that's going to look good and like focus, the, focus the viewer on the things you want them to see and not have anything distracting in the scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that stuff is so important. It reminds me of like one of the interesting things that they talked about with the creator was how normally if you're if you're whenever you're doing this and you're setting up the scene, and you're deciding on costumes and like everything that's going to be on camera. There's a color palette normally. Like mm-hmm. you'll say, this is this is the colors that we are achieving in this in this scene, and how they complement each other, and like how that's going to draw focus to what you're actually showing, and all this right. sort of thing. And like so much thought goes into what are the what's the color profile of everything on camera yeah and whenever they shot the creator because they shot everything in on location they let the scene itself inform the color palette and so they're like okay here's a daytime scene we're going to focus on using earthy tones there's gonna be a lot of greens and browns here's a nighttime scene so everything's going to have like a blue overtone to it so let's do all of the lighting very warm so we have this teal orange situation happening and they did a lot of that throughout the movie where if they knew they were going to have a lot of greens, then like they were going to focus on the green being the predominant like, mm. color in the scene. And it, wor- it worked really yeah. well. And he, like the colors were all very congruent and complementary and just they worked. Mm-hmm. And it's like they worked with what they had and they planned all that out ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. And that we don't, you know, we don't talk about things like that much, but that matters as much as what F-stop you're shooting at. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Sure does. And I mean, obviously, F stop, you're going to shoot wide open. So, yeah, <laughs> just to lock it wide open. <laughs> cool. So, that's my movie corner. Yeah. yeah I think people should watch that movie. Yeah. I think it, you know, it's it's a good reminder that you don't need a, you know, $20,000 cinema camera to make something. And I thought it was uh, a good movie and it did some interesting stuff. For sure. I would, I would definitely underline that and say that, you know, I feel like the XH2S probably takes as good a video as the FX3. Uh, I know it's bull claim, but as a uh, Fuji representative yeah. slash fanboy, 
I'm required to make this statement. Anybody who's still listening to this podcast after all this time <laughs> probably agrees with you. So, so what I'm saying is, uh, like the camera that you got is probably good enough to make yeah. like a full level motion motion picture yeah. Yeah. if that's like your jam, and just uh, don't let the other things stop you. Well, right? What's what's stopping you, Lucas? Time. <laughs> Fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll get around to it eventually. Yep. I just, I think it's really encouraging, and like that's to me, that's the big reason. If yeah. you're like a gear junkie, like watch this movie mm-hmm. because it's like they made this with like a Ronin and a Ninja and a FX FX three, and that it's just really cool. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, you mentioned in that whole spiel of you going on about cameras in the eighties, mm-hmm. buying old cinema cameras. Daniel, it's another edition of my Cinecam Corner. We've had at least one of these before. I don't, only, know, I don't know if we've had more than one, but we've had at least one of these before. There's only been one, and I had to go back and listen to that episode because I couldn't remember what I named this segment. <laughs> I did not name it. So right now we're going with Cinecam, Cinecam Corner until I can come up with a better name. Okay. That one is alliterated and has three words in it, so that's pretty good. Yeah, yep. starting strong. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. All right. Okay. Now, I wanted to tell you about the Panasonic Vericam LT. Because to me, that's the more interesting of the two. And I feel like if I was going to convince you to buy a Panasonic camera, it would be the Panasonic Vericam LT. <laughs> Until the S, uh, S1H Mark II comes out. Yep. So th- my, my goal here is to convince you that you, like, we're going to talk about some other cameras later. And I feel like you secretly want one of those. My goal here is you walk away from this conversation to be secretly wanting this camera instead. All right. And that's the Vericam LT. All right. Well, so, let's uh, convince me. But first we have to talk about the Vericam 35 because oh. I couldn't find a single movie <laughs> that was shot on the Vericam LT. <laughs> Not a point in favor of it there, Lucas. But Daniel, you see, the Vericam LT and the Vericam 35 have the exact same sensor in them. So I, th- I think for you personally, the LT is the right choice. Okay. Well, let's go through these then. Okay, so we're going to talk about 35 first. Okay. This is a Super 35 4K cinema camera, released originally in 2014. Okay. So it's not ancient. No. Nine years old, something like that. Mm. They still sell it. You can still buy this thing brand new for (laughs) (laughs) $55,000. Pretty high. But you're not going to, Daniel. You're going to go to MPB or eBay, and you're going to buy this thing for Mm $6,000. This is the 35 that you're talking about. Yeah, this is the 35. Now the LT, which is the one that you're actually going to buy, not this one, about four thousand. Okay, it's a little cheaper. Okay, it's smaller. You know, this thing's like eleven kilograms. It's huge. <laughs> it's pretty heavy, like twenty five pounds. The LT, which is an actual camera that we're talking about, sort of. I have to talk about thirty five because I this is the one that they shoot movies on. The the LT is like five or six kilograms. It's like half the weight. Okay, it's way way smaller. Anyway, this Super thirty five eight megapixel cinema camera with its built in NDs was a landmark at the time because it can shoot 4K. Yeah. I mean, I back mean, in 2014, that would have been unusual. It's out here competing with Aerie, who didn't even, at the time, didn't even have a 4K camera. You're still, still shooting 1080p if you're shooting Aerie. Filthy casual. Ugh, the worst. So if you want that resolution, you want 4K, you want Netflix certification, I mean, you got to go very cam. Yep. Was Netflix around in 2014? I don't, don't, don't <laughs> worry about that, Daniel. <laughs> yes, it was around in, jeez, come on. <laughs> Probably. Now this thing can shoot. This thing can shoot one to sixty frames per second. Pick pick a frame rate. Like three. 
Yeah. You can shoot three yeah. frames per second. Sure. Why Perfect. not? It's a very cam, dude. Yeah, you can just do whatever 30, you want. 36 frames per second? Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> 40, just, 48 is the best frame rate, just we know. Crank crank the dial. Yeah. I just and don't stop baiting me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's been some firmware updates and some additions to this thing. It can shoot 4K up to 120 frames per second. I mean, that's pretty impressive it's, for something it, from 2014. I'm just saying this thing is highly competitive. It's the correct sensor size. You can shoot all this 4K stuff. You can shoot like your high, your high frame rate. It's basically equivalent to like a C300 Mark II or like a Sony FS7. Interesting. It's got dual native ISO on that sensor. Up, you know, 5,000 ISO for the higher end, 800 for the low end. It's pretty good in low light. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, and then you get V-Log. Pretty cool. Yep. If you want to shoot on RAW, you can get this like codex thing. They just slap on the back of it, make it even bigger and heavier. <laughs> and then you can shoot in, you can shoot in V-Raw. V-Raw. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it does all the things. It's V-Log. You can shoot in like Canasonic, Canasonic, Panasonic's log profile. You can shoot in ProRes 4444HQ. And as I mentioned previously, I'm a 444 guy. Yeah. Yeah. You've so said this, that. This is a pretty, this is a pretty big deal, Daniel. Uh-huh. They can shoot in 4444. It's 444. Okay. Got it. So what are, you, what are you thinking? Well, let's let's think about this. So you said this is six thousand used. Yep. Compare that to something around the same price now, like okay, a, sure. a newer camera. Uh, let's say Which like a, would, a Komodo X, maybe. Yeah, sure. Or uh, man, let's see. A C seventy is around the same price. Sure, C seventy. Mm-hmm. That's super thirty five. Yeah. So what would you rather have? I mean, obviously this, because <laughs> it has it, it can shoot in raw. I know the C seventy can shoot in raw, but uh, I mean it's heavier, so that's better. Yeah. Heavier is always better. It's got built-in NDs. True. It true. shoots to P2 cards, whatever that means. Yeah. So the memory is sh- way more expensive. I'm, sh- I'm going to say, I'm sure those are cheap. I mean, this thing's got like 12G SDI out. I can't yeah. connect SDI to my C70. That's true. I think. I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. Yeah, you're, you're quizzing me on C70 without having done any sort of mm-hmm. backup C70 spec reminders. Yep. I can't I can't keep all this stuff I mean, straight I'm, I'm kind of just, like, not even that camera specifically, but just... You know, do you feel like this is at the, are the specs of this competitive enough with modern cameras that you would actually consider buying this? Over I would say modern? that it's comparable and that you're probably like, obviously like runtime matters and that sort of thing. Like you're buying used, but I think that there is enough weight, huh? Uh, with like shooting on an actual cinema rig and like you're getting things like all the time code stuff and uh, you know, like your SDI, multiple SDI outputs and power outputs, and you can interchange your viewfinder and your monitor and all this sort of thing. And like, you're getting all the things that come with shooting on a cinema camera that matter more for a production. Whereas if you're trying to retrofit something like a Komodo X or a C70, it may not be quite the same. Okay. Fair enough. Plus, Daniel, I told you it has built in ND. <laughs> you're really, uh, really big on that now, okay, aren't what, you? What, what else can I tell you? To, like, what, what are you looking for in a camera, Daniel? And I'll tell you this has it. <laughs> <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of built-in, do you get like a built-in viewfinder or screen or anything? I mean, what does it have in that regard? Daniel, you can pick whatever viewfinder you want, but there's multiple options. But one of which, which is pretty unique to the, to the Panasonic, is you can get a viewfinder that connects to the SDI output and has a power output on the front. You just connect those two puppies. Mm-hmm. And then there's a little little focus ring on that thing that you can use to zoom in 
for critical focus without zooming in on the actual frame. Oh, that's so you can cool. zoom in and then focus with your lens and then zoom back out from the viewfinder. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. get that critical focus. Pretty neat. Which is important if you're shooting on a lens that's not bar focal. Ah, indeed. Now this does shoot on PL mount. I was about to ask what lens mount it was. Yeah, and I believe that's the only one for this one, though I thought maybe you could interchange the mounts. Okay. Which is important to note because the LT that you're actually more interested in comes in with EF mount that you can interchange to PL mount. Interesting. So mm -hmm. tell me about this LT then. No, Daniel, first. We're not, we're not there yet? We're not there yet. <sighs> I got three movies for you. You got to tell me which one was shot on the Vericam ah, 35. I forgot, that, I forgot that was part That's of this. That's the whole part. This is the quiz show part of the, of the show. Okay. All right, what do we got? You got The Finest Hour starring Chris Pine. Chris Pine. Blech. That's right. That's Chris Pine, right? I don't know. I've never God, heard of this movie. Jeez. This is not helpful. Manchester by the Sea, which I think is, does that have Josh Duvall in it? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Or, so Finest Hour, Manchester by the Sea, or Crazy Rich Asians. I remember when Crazy Rich Asians came out. I'm going to go with Finest Hour. That's my guess. It's wrong, Daniel. It's wrong. It's Crazy Rich Asians. See, I thought that, I thought that movie came out recently enough that a 2014 camera would not have been used to it came, came out in 2018 okay and they used the four-year-old camera yeah and they used the very cam interesting yeah save some money yeah. use a very good camera that's still a little cheaper yeah there you go pretty cool now manchester by the sea made use of uh both of these used area Alexis. manchester by the sea used k35 lenses though uh, which if you recall is a legendary lens yeah <laughs> And that's how it ties in. Yep. So it's just nice. Me. All right. Nice. So now, so now to talk about this, this this real camera that you want. So it doesn't do it doesn't do 4K raw like the 35. You have if you want to shoot raw, you got it. You got to go out. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. But you can do SDI out to a Ninja or a Shogun, I guess, mm -hmm. to get then, like ProRes or something to or? get ProRes raw 444. Oh, so you, you can do raw external. You just can't do raw internal. Right. Okay. And then you can slap your you can slap your uh, V mount on the back of this thing. And then instead of buying a mod, like the whole eyepiece or the whatever, you just buy the, the Atomos yeah, for your monitor and then the use back. that for the recording. And now you're recording to SSDs instead of these expensive P2 cards. Yeah, that's a, that's a plus for sure. Yeah. And then uh, now you're getting, you're getting your, your raw recording. You can use EF or PL, so the lenses are, are relatively cheap. Cool. And you can got your internal NDs. It's the same sensor as the 35. And so you're getting those 14 plus stops of dynamic range. It still has like two power outputs, so you can record your, you can like run to your follow focus and your terror deck or whatever. It's got time code. It's got all the things, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it does. I mean, you're you're a little limited in that, like, if you're going to shoot over sixty frames per second, you can't shoot in four K. Mm -hmm. Those are those are two K, yeah. unlike the thirty five, which you could shoot four K up to one twenty. Yeah. So, if, but if you don't need if you don't need four K above sixty frames per second, I think this is I think this is for you. <laughs> I mean, it sounds pretty good. It's uh, it's better than like a an S1H, which is you know similar. I feel like you get a lot of street cred if you just show up with like a Vericam, you know, or any kind of cinema camera. Now I know that they've shot more movies on the FX3 than the Vericam LT <laughs> by at least one. <laughs> and this is basically the same price. Yeah, I'm just saying this looks better to me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, it, like serious serious talk though, it has more of what you need than what you get on the FX3 mm -hmm, because sure does. because what you know the, the part that was left out on that whole movie thing is that 
not only did they use expensive lenses, but I mean, they rigged up that FX3. They weren't just like running around handling. No, they were like FX3. using V mounts and all that, all yeah. this stuff. So that's something that you generally get with cinema cameras like this. Is I mean, not that you don't have to rig them because you do, but you generally get more things built in. You know, more more direct support for stuff that you would otherwise have to like cobble together some kind of rig for. And so that's, I feel like it's a pretty good reason to go with a cinema camera if you're doing like a serious production. I'm just saying, like. There's some, there's some like 20, 2011 to 2014 era cinema cameras that still hold their own to like modern mm-hmm. high end mirrorless stuff. That's basically the same price or cheaper. I mean, it'd be fun, right? Like it'd be, it'd be cool to have some older cinema camera mm-hmm. and just like get to play around with one, see, see what the benefits are to yep, that yep. without having to spend, you know, $50,000 on it. So we we covered the F fifty five, the Cine Alta F fifty five last time, and I think I like that one more than this one. But I like this one more for you <laughs> because it says Panasonic on the side uh, and you can shoot in V log. Yeah, that's true. I mean this this looks more appealing than your your BS one H option. I don't know if I agree with that. Mm, I mean, what, Daniel, what is what does the BS one H bring you? Half the, the price. I thought you were going to say full frame. <laughs> <laughs> then I was going to quit the podcast. <laughs> but no, it's. I think it's cool. Um, you know, it, it does It does make you think that it'd be fun to look around and find a used something cheap. I remember Caleb Pike buying like an original red camera on yeah. eBay for like $1,000. Yeah, like, those things are cheap, pretty man. Pretty cool. Yeah. You know, they, I think they shot some of those, uh, those Marvel movies on the original red. Yeah, there you go. I mean, there's a little bit of CG in those movies too, but. Sure, sure. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. Well, you meant cool. you mentioned the BS1H. I did. Or I mentioned someone mentioned it. Yeah. Which I feel like it, is it a, came up. It's a pretty good segue for this next camera that we're going to talk about. Okay. Because it has the same sensor. Indeed, it does. Yep. So uh, let's get into this Nikon cast and talk about the Z Cam. Yeah, sounds great. We've, we we talked about a Z Cam a few weeks ago, right? The ZF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah the, that's that's what we're talking about, right? That, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of Z cams. Which one are you talking about specifically? Here? Okay, okay. So, is the company called Z Cam? I think the, the company like, is called Z Cam. So Z Cam makes the Z Cam, yes. or is it the Z Cam and then they make the whatever? Yeah, I think I think it's that. They they have a bunch of different models. Okay, so I put this on the list a little while back because mm-hmm. they recently came out with the Z Cam E two M five G. Yep. Question mark. I think that's right. Yeah. And then you were like, Lucas, why are we not talking about the E2 F6 Pro? And I was like, I don't know if I ever know anything about the E2M's F6 Pro. So I looked up the E2 F6 normal, not mm-hmm. Pro. And I was like, this camera seems like it's got a lot of problems. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I watched the, uh, so Gerald Undone did a video mm-hmm. on, on that camera earlier. Um, or, I mean, he did it like three years ago. I watched it earlier. And yeah, there's a couple of problems with that camera. But like, the Pro is better, but it seems like it probably has all the same problems. And so, like, I feel like we just got to talk about Z Cam. I mean, that's kind of what I'm interested to talk about because I, we we need to go into detail on what those problems are. But mm-hmm. you know, anytime you see one camera from a company with issues like that, it kind of makes you wonder. You know, is this just like a pattern? Is this how all their stuff is? Yeah. I, I'll say upfront, I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, I don't. so like, let's let's back up a little bit and kind of like, what the heck is a Z Cam? Because maybe like some people are uninitiated and they're still thinking this is a Nikon camera. That, that, that they could be. Yeah. I know that I clarified that it wasn't, but it's pretty funny to pretend. <laughs> it is. 
It seems like they're basically, I mean, this is a company that makes sort of, I mean, they're, they're kind of like cinema camera or cinema camera adjacent cameras. They all have a box format. They're all very compact and small. And I mean, to me, the other thing that sets them apart is that they, I think for the feature set that they have, at least on paper, they're priced very low for what you get. Right. They are, these are the like budget box camera mm-hmm. cameras. Yeah. If you're like, you need some sort of box cinema something and you're, you're like trying to save as much money as possible, this may be the way to go. Yeah. So whether that's like live streaming or, you know, some sort of multicam studio setup or a crash cam, or if you're wanting to shoot a movie and you just don't have a lot of budget for a camera, that's kind of, I think, their market space. Okay. Yeah. And in tr- traditional fashion, the their poor, their I wouldn't say they're poorly named because the names do make some sense. If like you know how to decode them, they're yeah. like BMW model numbers. Yeah, they're a little confusing though. But there's so many. And so essentially they have like the first letter is, is the body style. So right now they're on the E2. Mm-hmm. So any E2 Z cam you buy is going to be basically the same body. Right. Maybe some slightly different ports on it, I guess. But for all intents and purposes, like the same body. Yeah. And then after that, they'll list the sensor size. So like the E2M4 is a micro four thirds camera. Mm-hmm. The E2F is a full frame camera. The yep. E2S is a whatever. And then Super the, 35. Right, yeah. Super 35. And then the next number I think is the generation. So mm-hmm. like S6, S5, or like M4. Yep, there's an M4. And then we're, you know, the one that kind of brought, brought this topic up is an M5. So there's a newer one of that. Right. And yeah. then they have the last letter, which sometimes there's no last letter. And then sometimes there's a G on the end, and the G stands for global shutter. Right. And then what confuses me, though, is they have an E2C, and I don't know what that is. That one seemed like it was pretty cheap when I looked it up. Um, I think think the E2C, like there's no nothing after that, just E2C. And I think that one was like $900. It's micro four-thirds. And it reminded me a lot of that new Blackmagic, I can't remember what the name of it was, like a studio camera micro or something. Blackmagic has something they release that's pretty similar. It's about $1,000. So I think that's kind of like a, it's it's more for like a live streaming or studio type setup. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And then they have the straight up E2, mm-hmm. which also does like, it's a 4K micro four thirds something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the E2C may be the newer version of the E2. I'm guessing on that. Okay. Yeah. So like kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so the, the things, the ones we want to talk about, I guess, were, I thought this E2M5G thing was was interesting. Yeah. Mostly because it is a global sensor camera that is like, I don't remember if they released the price. It's like less than $4,000 kind yeah, of thing. I, I can't, yeah, I can't remember if they actually have a price on it or not. Right. Because like it was it was just announced at you know, the recent camera show thing. Mm-hmm. And like it's kind of cool because like, you know, it's a global sensor and you know you can they have a bunch of interchangeable mounts for it and so like if you really want it to be super 35 you can buy, get like an ef with a with a speed booster in mm-hmm. it yep or you can put like i guess like pl maybe or micro four thirds mount or you can buy mounts that have like nd options in them to slide in mm-hmm. so they have a lot of options like how you're using it and then if you really need that that low shutter speed, like you're shooting a lot of fast action, having that global shutter option for sure. something that's cheap is kind of kind of yeah. really cool. And that's what they're 
I think they're pushing on this. And it seems like they're they're at least claiming that they still get good dynamic range, which is usually the problem with global shutter stuff. Right, you're going to lose like a stop. Mm-hmm. And so it they're saying 16 stops of yeah, dynamic range. Yeah, hard, hard to believe. That feels like that's got to be like the you know what the sensor can do, and it's probably yeah. more like 12 or 13 as far as you know, like clean-ish stops. I, I would expect. Yeah. And I mean, like yeah, so like you're losing a stop on on the fact that it is global shutter, but they're saying that they're doing the whole dual gain thing. Mm-hmm. And so they're grabbing, you know, a high gain and a low gain off the sensor, combining it into one image. And that's how they're getting that higher dynamic range. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that one seemed interesting. And, you know, when I saw that $4,000 price point, it's like, well, this seems like a pretty good camera for, you know, I, I don't know if that's the actual price, but that's, that seemed like what people were thinking the price was going to be. Right. And, you know, I kind of, see, I've seen Zcam here and there and, started looking at looking up some of their other models and i'm just surprised at how cheap some of that stuff is yeah they're like super super cheap yeah so you put you put the e2 f6 not pro on here wait sorry the pro i, I think put I put pro the down pro. here the, yeah sorry i'm looking at the wrong part of the notes you put the z2 the z cam e2 f6 pro right on here so tell me a little bit about this one so that one is also i had to just look up what the price was that was also about four thousand dollars so it's the same price as their newer one and it, it came out also recently, like in the last year. Yeah. And I can't remember what's different about the pro versus the non-pro. So there, I mean, these are a, this is a full frame 6k, uh, non-global shutter. So it's a rolling, you know, rolling shutter. It uh, seems like some of the things that are different are like, uh, you, you get a 12, 12 G SDI output. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other one, I don't even think the original, uh, F6 had SDI output. Yeah. In order to get SDI, you had to. So, like on the back of the the Zcam F6 Not Pro, it's a an NPF slot plate, mm-hmm. and you could buy a separate module that's slotted in on the battery plate, and that added SDI oh, output. So they just they built that into the Pro, right? And so like the Pro and the and the Not both F6 models have uh, like a two pin power input and then they also have a battery input but the yeah. Pro is a V mount oh, okay. and then they added an they basically the things that you would normally get on the back yeah. of the of the module for yeah. the they added it to the Pro yeah. and so getting that that V mount getting the 12G are pretty big and it yeah. seems like it also comes with a monitor that you can use mm. instead of having to buy mm-hmm. that separately yeah but you know it's like uh, that's an interesting combination because I feel like the the real advantage of that Pro is the SDI output because one problem that the F6 series has from you know from watching Gerald's video and doing research is basically the these cameras are kind of compromised on how you actually record the footage. Right. Because you have a CFast card built in. Not with, CF Express, but CFast. Yeah, which is expensive for the mm-hmm. uh, for the capacity. And anytime you're doing and, and they do have a USB C port on, so you could record to an SSD, right. which is cool. But the problem is that anytime you record internally on these cameras, if you lose power during that recording, you lose the entire file. Right. It corrupts everything. And their solution to this is to give you a way to split the files. So you can split them like every one minute, every five minutes, all the way up to like every hour if you want. But basically it splits these files. And then the, the kind of the, the gotcha here is that you have to use Zcam software to combine those files after you like when you're ready to work on them. Right, because whenever it splits it, it leaves like a frame gap with yeah. the audio mm-hmm. and it, it's just like it will not line up and so you have to use their concatenator yep. Yep. in order to combine everything. Yeah, which is just like adds extra work to your post-processing workflow. And so to me, it feels like the only viable way to use these cameras is to record, to use this 
particular one at least is to record externally so like that's where sdi seems nice because you know i don't love the idea of having my fancy cinema camera and then plugging in an hdmi cable and just like hoping it doesn't come loose and sdi at least kind of locks in it does seem like though recording externally on these is weird it I don't know if they've like how much Atomos has kind of improved some of like the handshaky stuff that happens between like what is the camera outputting and what does the monitor see, mm-hmm. but it seems like there's some limitation on you know you're getting this camera that is a it's a basically a six K sensor, but most of the external recorders will only do four K right, and so like you're not necessarily getting all of the cool stuff. You can't get the the Z Rob that that does. And I don't think it will do raw over SDI. If well, is I know that right? it did over HDMI, so I would okay. assume so. All right. Well, so I probably got that wrong. But even still, it's like it gets a little weird. And then if you're doing things like if you want to put zebras or a LUT or something, it seems like if you do any effect on top of the footage over HDMI, it impacts the video quality. Yeah. Which, to be fair, like that's not going to be a problem if you're recording externally, because right. you're not going to put. You're not going to use like a focus assist or anything on your HDMI feed if you're also trying to record over HDMI. That's true. Yeah, you want to make sure that you do have a clean feed. But that that was a really weird issue with the F with the with the regular F6 is that yeah, like even if you're just monitoring, it's like as soon as you turn on a waveform or something, your footage gets worse, which like that's terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't want that. I mean, the the the, re- the recorded version, you know, internally on the camera was fine, so it's not like you're. You know, it's not like your long-term file is bad, but if I'm trying to monitor the shot, I want it to be, like, sharp, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really weird. It's It just seems like there's a lot of weird gotchas mm-hmm. with these cameras. Like, if you sh- if you do decide to shoot internally and you shoot on Z-RAW, you have to use their RAW processing, yeah. and, you know, like, you're, you're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, like, you know, I, I, it makes me wonder how much this stuff extends across their lineup because, for example, like, there's the... Uh, you know, E2 M4, which is a micro four thirds camera, but it's $1,500 and it has a lot of great, like a lot of great specs. I mean, in terms of being able to record ProRes 4444 raw, um, you know, having a lot of codec options for H265, uh, you can record the Z raw, you know, all that stuff. Um, frame rates were really high. I mean, some of these things can do like you know, I can't remember what that one was specifically, but I, you know, some of these can do, you know, 6K at 75 frames per second or, you know, 4K at 160 frames per second. I mean, they have really good specs, but seeing some of the issues with that F6 just kind of makes me feel like the issue with these cameras is that they offer those specs and they offer some great features, but then some of the, some of the polish just isn't there. Right. It does seem like they're reliable. I mean, mm-hmm. all of the reviews and stuff that we see on these things, like they're not necessarily like turning off and crashing on you and yeah. making you lose footage. They're reliable. It's just like there's so many gotchas with you don't really want to record internally because it's splitting the files and because of the possible corruption issue and mm-hmm. having to pay for CF, CF Express, not CF Express, CFast. Ooh. And then like recording externally, if you're not on the pro, you like dealing with HDMI cables or, you know, SCI. SCI is better, but like having to deal with all the external stuff. And then I'm looking here at, the the page for Atomos and for the F6 Pro, you do get 6K raw up to 30p. Okay, so like so you can shoot in ProRes raw, mm-hmm. but to clarify, you can't shoot in ProRes 4444. Mm-hmm. Or okay, it's ProRes 422 if you're recording externally. So like if you want to get the best quality, you have to shoot in raw. And then if you're 
then you're having to deal with, you know, now you have ProRes RAW, and so you're really messing in like yeah. Adobe or Final Cut, or unless you want to process it and move it into your Blackmagic mm-hmm. situation if you're using Resolve. And like, there's always, there's so many like little, little yeah, gotchas. It's like, just you like can't get exactly what you want. The, the edges are rough. And I feel like the biggest competition for these things is the Blackmagic pocket cameras. Because that's kind of a similar price point, similar sort of features, feature set. These cameras definitely offer higher frame rates. They offer the uh, you know the better codecs, being able to record H.265 stuff like that. Uh, and then the big thing they offer is just the box format. I mean, we've talked on this show several times about how you know like if you're trying to rig something up, box camera style seems better than that pocket camera style. But I just think it's interesting in the context of everybody getting so upset recently about the Blackmagic Cinema camera not being a box style. And it's like in every other respect, like workflow-wise and stuff, the Blackmagic stuff seems way better. But in this one area, it's like they, they haven't directly attacked Zcam yet because they're, they're kind of offering you like, like which thing do you want to prioritize? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, exactly. And I am looking here. It, it seems like Blackmagic Video did add b-raw support for the zcam so oh, if you cool. did need b-raw you can buy use your other recorder and so mm-hmm. like it seems like there's more and more support kind of slowly growing yeah but yeah it's like the black magic maybe is a little more user-friendly for certain workflows and seems like it is more polished towards a lot of these like weird tiny compromises yeah i think so but if you are looking for like something that's cheap that's a box cam like zcam kind of owns this little section of the market yeah they've carved out for themselves mm-hmm. I just think they're interesting. You know, it's not really a brand you hear about that much, but I, it, you know, it, it's kind of, they offer you something unique that you don't get from other brands. Yeah. And it is cool to see a global shutter in a camera that's $4,000. For sure. Though I guess yeah. like you could probably find, could you think you could find like a used Komodo for that price? I don't know. Start, start doing some Googling, find out. Yeah. I'm going to find out. Uh, let's see, used red Komodo 6K kit on M. I'm getting so many MPB links recently. $5,250, $5,300. So no. Still like, a little high. The Komodo is going to cost you a little more. Mm-hmm. So still a, this micro four thirds option is, yep. it's cheaper. Yep. Yep. I still, I mean, you kind of mentioned, you know, the, the, uh, F6 uses the same sensor as the Panasonic S1H, which means that the BS1H is a you know, basically the same camera, but Panasonic. Right. And that, that's a pretty interesting comparison. Yeah. Too. And I mean, you can find those for what, $3,500 or something. Uh, you can get them used for like 2,200. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's full frame. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess the, the F6 Pro is full frame too. Yeah. But like, it's the same sensor, you get similar dynamic range, but then you get all the cool Panasonic stuff. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Get, like, you get the, pol- the polish of Panasonic that you're not getting on this. Right. So, I think that's maybe more appealing mm-hmm. than any of these cameras here, but it is kind of cool to see what Zcam's doing, and it's nice yeah. to have like this other option. And you know, like all of these cameras, it seems like they have like Ethernet out, and so like they're great for like live streaming yep. and that sort of thing. So, and, and I will say, I was I've been impressed seeing some of the firmware updates they've released for these. It seems like they they're one of those brands that does add big features in firmware updates. And that's something that you see more in like these cinema cameras than you do on, you know, like consumer level mirrorless stuff. I mean, we complain on this show a lot about how like Fuji and Sony don't update their cameras very much after they release. And I just feel like I've noticed like you talking about some of these older cinema cameras, Panasonic, you know, like releasing updates that had like big new features. We've seen Panasonic do that here and there. Um, 
and Zcam seems like they definitely do it too. So all that to say, I mean, I do hope they keep improving this stuff and, you know, especially some of these things that seem like software issues, you know, that that's something they could fix in a firmware update. So hopefully they'll uh, keep working on. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it It's cool to see this stuff. I, man, whenever I watch the thing on the E2 M5G, I, this is kind of like a weird aside, but I was like, I think what it was like, Cine something did a, a video, maybe it was Cine D, I don't remember. And the guy was talking about the camera and he clearly didn't know anything about the camera. <laughs> uh, they were asking very technical things and he's like, uh, global shutter is cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's awkward. Yeah. It's, it was, and he was like, it uses a sensor from a well-known sensor manufacturer. <laughs> wink, wink, <laughs> wink, wink. It's like, okay, yeah, we get it. It's a Sony yeah. sensor. <laughs> They're all Sony sensors. <laughs> they they are all Sony sensors. I was looking to remind myself what mouse these things come with, and it looks like the F6 Pro is EF, but you can stick an M, a Micro Four Thirds, a PL, and an LPL mount yeah, on there. A lot of options there. Does M is the Leica mount, right? I think it. Yeah, I think that's right. Does that's a weird mount? I don't yeah, know but why does I, that answer the question? <laughs> maybe it does. Like we were. I'm wondering, like, why is Cook? Mm-hmm. Making things for M mount. It's for Z cam. It was for Z cam the whole time. <laughs> Though you probably would just get LPL and put yeah, a locking PL mount because I feel like I that's a so. better mount. Yeah, I would think than Because so it locks, Daniel. But what if you also wanted to use it on your Leica camera because you own both a Leica camera and a Z cam? That's <laughs> that's a cross section. Yeah. I, I want to meet that person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I just really like. I really like my Leica, but uh, sometimes when I need to shoot video, I can whip out my Z cam. Yeah. <laughs> that person's out there somewhere. S- similarly priced. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeesh. Okay. Enough about all these Joker camera brands. Like, no one cares about Panasonic and Z cam. Let's talk about the only camera brand that matters. And that, that's Canon. Are we going to talk about the rumors about the uh, R5 Mark II? What? There's rumors? <laughs> Tell me about it, Tanner. There are. What do you I- got? I don't know enough to tell you, but there are rumors. That's it? Yeah. So that there are rumors. There are rumors. And you can't tell me what they are. <laughs> I saw a headline and it was canon and I was like, I don't care enough to look at that. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Killing me, Daniel. Killing me. Okay. I saw some rumors, since we're talking about cam- canon rumors now, all of a sudden. The canon's going to open up their mount. I don't know. Like, I've heard people talking about this like it's a fact. I, well, I can't I find I can't find any sort of like press release or whatever that says that it's actually true. It's like I think there was one interview from one Canon CEO where he was like, "Yeah, well, like we're we're working with people or something, something vague like that." Yes, which I mean, it could have been those Cook lenses. Who knows? Nah, that's true. Wait, those weren't for RF, or were they? Were they? Doesn't matter, Daniel. Point is, I don't think they're going to do it. I think that this is all all smoke and mirrors. And uh, we all think that they're going to open up the R mount, RF mount, but I don't think they're actually going to open up the RF mount. I mean, I kind of don't either. It's been this long that you would think they would have had all this time to do it if they were going to, and they clearly haven't wanted to. So unless yeah. something big changes about their business, I don't think they will. Yeah, they got to stick to your guns. Yeah, and they are. Now that we've squashed that bug, <laughs> there's a new RF lens in town, and it's a 10 to 20 F4. I mean... I don't know. I I guess that's I guess that's about comparable to some of those APS-C. Like it's comparable to what like the Fuji mm-hmm. eight to sixteen f two point eight. That's like basically the same lens for RF. Yeah, basically. I mean it's not literally the same, but like it's the same specs. All right, now get now get ready. Okay, this is a full frame lens. 
Right. Yeah. Daniel, do you know what this means? <laughs> think think of think of another full frame zoom lens that has that that wide of wide of a field of view. I guess that is pretty wide for full frame because they normally stop around fifteen or something, right? Yeah. yeah. So. Just just think about it. How how many out there are there? I I wouldn't know. Zero. Zero. This is the widest full frame lens you can buy. Interesting. That's a zoom. Sorry, that's a zoom. Let me yeah. clarify that. You can get you can get like a Sigma or so or whatever. Maybe is it Sigma? No, because it's RF. I think there's one that's like Canon has like a 15 or whatever, and like Sony has one that's like a like an 11 to mm-hmm. something, and it's a 2.8. Okay. And so, but this RF, 10 mil. That's like that's like that's 100. It's like 163 degrees yeah. or something. I'm, it's like full crazy frame. It's wide. Very wide. Crazy wide. It's we're, I mean, you see a 10 to 20, you're like, oh, that's an APS-C lens. Nope. It's a full frame. I'm just saying, this is a pretty big deal, Daniel. Yeah, that's pretty wide, but it's a pretty big lens, too. Oh, it's, it's probably huge. <laughs> I think, I, I, oh, I didn't even write down the filter size. Because uh, it uses rear filters, that's right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> that's right. I, I did write that down. And you can slide things in the back. And also, I was lying. It's a 130-degree field of view. That's, that's still pretty wide. It's, it's pretty stinking wide. Yeah. EF 11 to 24 is the other one that uh, that I was supposed to compare it to. Okay. So, like, they have... Uh, they had that lens that was for EF way back when. And it's like, this is basically the RF replacement for it, but wider, better, has has OIS, like five hole stops. As if you need that on a 10 mil? I mean, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're doing like real long exposure landscape stuff. Guess if you're vlogging with it. Sure. Maybe you're vlogging with it. And you you got to have like, on the run. You mm-hmm. need it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This thing's going to cost, uh, let me think. I think it's, I think it's somewhere around a, billion dollars maybe more it's going to cost $2,300 I mean it's high but that price doesn't surprise me because every RF lens is super expensive yeah that's like that's like right in the right in the you know yep. pocket for, yep. for RF glass from Canon and this is not fisheye right it's like a normal no it is I mean it's got like a nice bulbous front oh okay it's it's basic like it's not a fisheye lens, mm-hmm. but it's basically a fisheye lens. Okay, that's why you have all the rear filters and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, I guess it makes sense. Daniel, you're not excited enough <laughs> about this lens. I'm not excited about it. I don't know. I mean, it's it seems fine, I guess. But I, sh- I just need. I'm going to dig in here a little bit on why this is a big deal. Okay, convince me. It's so wide. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, if I was, if I did something for the first time, like in all of history, you'd be like. Wow, Lucas, that's the first time anyone stood on their head and ate a banana. I've like no one's ever done that before, which I know remarkable. Cannon's over here doing that. Just those banana eaters doing their thing. I mean, that's a it's a pretty big deal. There, I mean, they're they're like, why do you want to shoot Canon? Because we're making lenses that no one else makes. Look at this f two zoom that we make. It's so fast. Look at these like fantastic lenses, and you you want to go wide? Look how wide this lens is. And they're like. <laughs> Throwing confetti and dropping microphones. <laughs> and then they're like, screw all other lens mounts because they don't need them. <laughs> Sounds like you should work for Canon Marketing over there. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> I'm just try- I'm trying to build a hype train here, Daniel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should all be like super pumped about how cool this thing is. If you say so. It's super cool. <laughs> <laughs> I guess all these red shooters can use it since it's RF mount. Yeah, man. They're gonna start shooting their movies on uh on, at ten mil. Yeah, <laughs> that won't give anybody vertigo. Yeah, I mean, like it'll have a little vignetting, but you put that on like a 
like a large format cinema mm. camera, you know, one of those like, you know, four, 42 millimeter width <laughs> lens, uh, sensors and go freaking 130 degrees. Get those really close up. It's like a five to one macro. I mean, you, you can get some weird stuff with this yeah, thing. No kidding. <laughs> well, that's cool. Glad they're doing new stuff. Still think it's overpriced, but maybe it's not overpriced, but it's just all these lenses are expensive. I mean, is it overpriced for the world's first autofocusing rectilinear zoom that goes to a 10 millimeter coverage, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> How can you put a price on that? <laughs> Canon did. It is $2,300. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, okay. We got, we got to have, we got, I, we can't end on that note, Lucas. Well, then, so then end on something else. Imp- impress me, Daniel. I, I don't know, man. What, what else is there today? I mean, we've, we've talked about all these cinema cameras. We talked about some weird RF lens. I mean, what else, what else we got? That's it. That's all I got. That's, that's all the you whole got. show, that's, Daniel. That's all you brought. Yeah. I brought, I brought, I brought everything. What more do you want? <laughs> I'm coming. I got, I talked about movies. I talked about Panasonic cameras, which you don't want for some reason. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think the thing's pretty cool. And then we belabored on about Z these Nikon cameras that no one cares about. And uh, we belabor on about Nikon cameras a lot, but that is not what we there did was, today. There was an episode, like three episodes back, where I was making some gag where I started listing every camera <laughs> manufacturer. And like, not even as a joke, I forgot to list Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening back and I was like, that's pretty funny. Was that intentional? <laughs> <laughs> jokes on jokes. Oh boy, yeah. So, and do I issue an apology? No, don't ever, never apologize. No, never apologize. Never apologize. Yep. Just, uh, just go on as if nothing happened. It'll all be fine. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.